0: Hello, and welcome to this morning's edition of Five at Eight. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024, and I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we will talk about Taiwan's upcoming presidential and parliamentary elections and its implications for Washington-Beijing relations. We'll also discuss BYD, China's dominant automaker, and its success in the electric vehicle market. Then, we'll cover the presence of Iran's Alborz warship in the Red Sea, and the escalating tensions in Ukraine's ongoing war. Lastly, we'll delve into the surprising announcement of Queen Margrethe II of Denmark's abdication. Stay tuned for all the news of the day. Story number one. Taiwan's upcoming presidential and parliamentary elections on January 13th will have significant implications for Washington-Beijing relations. According to Al Jazeera, the incumbent vice president and candidate of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, William Lai Qingtai, is expected to win the presidential race, which would likely provoke Beijing due to its portrayal of Lai as a separatist. The United States, Taiwan's most significant international supporter, will be closely watching the election results and considering strategies to deter any Chinese military responses. While the opposition Kuomintang, KMT candidate, Hao Yue, is seen as friendlier towards Beijing, none of the candidates support unification with China. A victory for the DPP's Lai could further strain relations between Taiwan and China, while a victory for the KMT's Hao could potentially lower tensions in cross-strait relations. The U.S. will continue to emphasize dialogue and avoiding military confrontation, as reported by Al Jazeera. There have been suggestions for more substantive commitments, such as a U.S.-Taiwan free trade agreement. However, there remains uncertainty about the U.S. commitment to Taiwan, leading to declining trust among people in Taiwan. Tell you, Linda, the upcoming Taiwanese elections sure are going to shake up the geopolitical chessboard. You know, Washington's got a keen eye on the outcome, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays into the already strained relations between the U.S. and China.
1: Taiwan is, in many ways, a fulcrum in this delicate balance of power, and the stakes are high. With William Lai, the incumbent vice president, and the candidate of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party being portrayed by Beijing as a separatist, a win for him could continue to fan the flames across the strait.
0: Spot on, Linda. And it's not just about the presidential elections, right? The parliamentary elections on the same day could also throw a wrench in the works. If the DPP loses its majority in the legislature... The dynamic shift again.
1: And in this intricate dance, the U.S.'s role is pivotal. It'll be crucial to observe how they respond to the election results. I mean, they've been Taiwan's most significant international supporter, and their response could very well influence Beijing's next move.
0: Couldn't agree more. But while we're on this, let's not forget Biden's mixed signals on whether the U.S. would defend Taiwan in case of a military conflict with Beijing. That's been causing quite the stir, and I reckon it's adding to the uncertainties.
1: Indeed, Mark. There's a certain ambiguity in U.S. policy towards Taiwan, and that can complicate things. The one-China policy, for instance. The U.S. officially recognizes Beijing but acknowledges Taiwan. That delicate balance could be tipped with these elections.
0: Yeah, it's like walking a tightrope, isn't it? But at the end of the day, we've got to remember that the people at the heart of this are the 23 million Taiwanese citizens. Their fate hangs in the balance, and it's their right to self-determination that should be the ultimate priority. Story number two. BYD, China's dominant automaker, sold over 3 million battery-powered cars in 2023, including 1.6 million fully electric vehicles, marking a significant increase from the previous year as reported by the New York Times. Despite heavy competition and a price war in the industry, BYD managed to triple its profit to $1.5 billion in the first half of the year. China's electric vehicle market is rapidly growing, with Chinese automakers expected to have sold around 9.4 million electric vehicles and hybrids in 2023. China's early lead in the electric vehicle market can be attributed to the government's financial support for the industry's development. Tesla, BYD's rival, is also expected to report a significant increase in sales after slashing prices and benefiting from U.S. tax breaks. However, both companies face increasing competition from legacy automakers. As the competition intensifies, companies are investing heavily in factories and research, often with the help of loans and assistance from state-owned banks and municipalities. BYD, which faces high tariffs in the U.S. market, is expanding globally, and announced the construction of its first production facility for battery-powered cars in Europe. Despite political ramifications and investigations into China's state subsidies, Europe's auto industry continues to view China as an important customer and business partner. How about that news, eh? China's BYD selling 3 million electric vehicles in 2023. That's something. It's incredible to see how rapidly the EV market is growing over there, especially considering the heavy competition and price wars. Hats off to them for not only surviving, but thriving in the middle of all that.
1: Yes, Mark. And it's worth noting that BYD's sales aren't just a sign of the company's strength, but also a reflection of China's overall dominance in the electric vehicle industry. From mining and processing the materials for batteries to manufacturing the vehicles, China has a firm grip on the entire supply chain.
0: You're right on the money, Linda. China's government has been a strong supporter of the industry, providing heavy financial aid for its development. Even after incentives for consumers expired, automakers had to get crafty to keep their sales up, slashing prices and launching new rounds of cuts. It's like a high-stakes poker game.
1: It's fascinating to see how these companies are navigating the challenges. On one side, there's the pressure to remain competitive and affordable in the face of Tesla's price cuts. On the other, they have to deal with the financial toll of this sustained price war.
0: And let's not forget the international stage. With electric vehicles becoming a global priority, we're seeing a lot of geopolitical maneuvering. It's getting trickier for foreign companies to partner with U.S. firms. And China's state subsidies are under EU investigation, which could lead to tariffs.
1: That's true, Mark. But despite these challenges, automakers like BMW and Volkswagen continue to invest heavily in China, recognizing the country's significance as a business partner and major sales market. It's a delicate balance, navigating the geopolitical landscape while staying competitive in the rapidly evolving EV market.
0: Story number three. Iran's Alborz warship has entered the Red Sea through the Bab al-Mandeb Strait, as reported by Al Jazeera. The ship's presence in the strategically important waterway comes amid heightened tensions, with the U.S. recently setting up a multinational naval task force in response to attacks by Yemen's Houthi rebels on merchant vessels. The Red Sea is a crucial trade route, with 12% of global trade passing through it. The news of the warship's entry into the Red Sea comes after U.S. Navy helicopters fired on Houthi rebels attempting to board a cargo ship off Yemen. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Linda. This move by Iran, sending the Alborz warship into the Red Sea, it's definitely stoking the flames in an already heated environment. It's a bit like a high-stakes game of chess, with each move calculated to assert dominance or test the resolve of the opponent. Historically, we've seen this happen, such as in the South China Sea, where territorial disputes have led to increased militarization.
1: But let's not forget, it's not just about dominance. There are real, practical implications to these kind of military maneuvers. The Red Sea is a critical trade route, and any disruption could have serious ripple effects on global trade. The same happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, when the U.S. naval blockade threatened to choke off Soviet supplies. And it's not just the big powers at play here, non-state actors like the houthi rebels are also deeply
0: involved no doubt about it linda non-state actors complicate the picture it's not just a matter of two superpowers locking horns but multiple stakeholders with conflicting interests the houthis backed by iran seem to be using attacks on merchant vessels as a form of protest against the israeli bombardment in gaza it's it's a tangled web
1: and it's important to note that this isn't happening in a vacuum Iran's relations with Western countries and Israel are deeply strained. The tensions in the Red Sea are just a manifestation of these wider geopolitical conflicts. For instance, Iran's meeting with the top Houthi negotiator after the U.K. threatened direct action against the Houthis, it points to a deeper struggle for influence in the region.
0: No kidding, Linda. It's like a powder keg waiting to go off. And as you've said, the implications can be massive. Freedom of navigation is a cornerstone of international law and global trade. If that's threatened, it's not just a regional problem, it's a global one. Plus the rising militarization of such strategically important waterways, it's an alarm bell. It certainly brings to mind the infamous Guns of August scenario that led to World War I.
1: Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that, Mark. But you're right. History does serve as a warning. And it's crucial to remember that behind these strategic maneuvers are real people whose lives can be deeply affected. The human aspect of these geopolitical games can't be overlooked.
0: Story number four. Russian President Vladimir Putin has vowed to intensify attacks against Ukraine's military targets, as reported by the BBC, following days of aerial bombardment by both sides in the ongoing war. Putin accused Ukraine of deliberately striking civilians in the Russian city of Belgorod, where 25 people were killed in an air raid. He claimed that the war was turning in Russia's favor and called for a quick end to the conflict on Russia's terms. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky countered Putin's claims, stating that Russia's suggestion of winning the war was only a feeling and highlighting Russia's casualty figures in Ukraine the two leaders exchanged New Year messages, with Zelensky promising an increase in weapon production in Ukraine. The recent attacks between Russia and Ukraine have resulted in casualties on both sides. Why? It's like we're stuck in a vicious cycle, Linda. Putin's vow to intensify attacks against Ukraine, it's—it's just another turn in this violent spiral. History isn't short of instances where countries have ramped up military aggression against their opponents and the results have rarely been pretty. It's like we're seeing a rerun of those terrible episodes, but in real time.
1: You're absolutely right. History does seem to be repeating itself, unfortunately. And what's more, this conflict is shaping international politics in a significant way. The rhetoric of the global community is changing in response to these developments, and it's concerning. President Zelensky's frustration towards Kiev's Western allies, for instance, reflects a broader sentiment about the perceived delay in their response.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I can't help but think about the role of technology here, Linda. Zelensky's pledge to build at least a million drones. It's a stark reminder of how warfare is changing. But at the end of the day, it's not the gadgets or the politics that's at the heart of this. It's the human cost. It's the people on both sides of the conflict who are paying the price.
1: So true, Mark. The human cost of this conflict is devastating. The attacks on cities, the lives lost. It's heartbreaking. And that four-year-old girl who died in the hospital. It's such a tragedy. These stories remind us of the real cost of war and military aggression. It's not just about politics or power. It's about the innocent lives that are caught in the crossfire.
0: Absolutely. It quote s dot, dot, dot it quote s just heart-wrenching. And we can only hope that the leaders involved find a way to halt this escalating violence soon, for the sake of all those innocent lives. Story number five. Queen Margaret II of Denmark has announced her abdication after 52 years on the throne, leaving the throne to her son, Crown Prince Frederick. The announcement came as a shock to the Danish people, with many expressing their emotions and gratitude for the queen's long reign. The Danish monarchy is known for its modesty, and there will be no formal coronation for the new king. According to the Guardian, Queen Margret, affectionately known as Daisy, is a multi-talented individual who is also a former chain-smoker. Her abdication is a significant event, as the last time a Danish monarch abdicated was in 1146. Danish culture is informal, and the new king and queen, Crown Prince Frederick and Crown Princess Mary, are well-loved by the public the abdication has been met with a mix of shock, sadness, and support from the Danish people. How about that news from Denmark, huh? Queen Margaret II stepping down after a whopping 52 years on the throne. I mean, that's one heck of a tenure. Linda, what do you make of it?
1: Yes, it's certainly a significant moment in Danish history, Mark. Given that the last abdication in Denmark was in 1146, it's not an event the Danes are accustomed to. From what we can gather, the Queen's decision to abdicate has brought about a wave of emotional responses from the Danish public.
0: Right. It's been described as a shock, a cause for tears even. I can't help but wonder, though, how does a monarchy, especially one that's as modest as the Danish one, fit in a twenty-first century democratic society?
1: That's a great point, Mark. Monarchies in the modern world, particularly in democratic countries, often serve more as a symbol of unity and continuity. In the case of Denmark, the monarchy seems to have remained relevant by staying in touch with the people. Queen Margrethe and her son, Crown Prince Frederick, they've been described as normal people, easily approachable, and in tune with the society.
0: Yeah, I read about that. Even their future Queen Mary, she's originally from Australia, right? Seems like she's been fully embraced by the Danish public. Does that say something about the Danish society or the monarchy itself?
1: I'd say it reflects both, Mark. The Danish society's acceptance of Crown Princess Mary shows their openness and inclusivity. On the other hand, it's also a testament to Mary's efforts to adapt to the Danish culture. It's interesting how this interplay between the royals and the public shapes the monarchy in Denmark.
0: Fascinating stuff, Linda. So, moving forward, what can we expect from King Frederick X and Queen Mary? Do you reckon they'll be able to fill the shoes of Queen Margrethe?
1: Well, Mark, only time will tell. However, given their popularity... And the respect they seem to command among the Danes, it seems the monarchy is in good hands. The transition might be emotional for many, but it also brings about a new chapter in Denmark's royal history.
0: That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: 5 at 8 is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.